The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Spirit Matters where we explore matters of the spirit with leading experts from across the spiritual spectrum, all designed to enrich and enlarge your wisdom, deepen your joy and peace, and awaken your inner connection to the divine. Here's your host, Philip Goldberg. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Spirit Matters, where we have conversations with wise and interesting people about spirituality and all of its different expressions um, designed to help you along your own spiritual path. Uh, Those of you uh, who are familiar with my previous podcast of the same name, if you don't be confused, that podcast that I used to co-host with Dennis for Monday uh, came to a uh, conclusion, and the archive lives on at spiritmatterstalk.com. You go may go and listen to any of our nearly 300 interviews. It's all free. And here, we're developing a new archive of interesting interviews. Uh, And if you're tuning in here for the first time to mindbodyspirit.fm, go back and listen to some of the wonderful interviews we've had uh, in the past. Today's guest is Karen Tate. Karen's an interfaith minister, public speaker, a podcaster, social justice social justice activist and the author of several books among which are sacred places of goddess voices of the sacred feminine and her latest book which we'll focus on today normalizing abuse a commentary on our pervasive culture of abuse karen welcome Thank you for having me here, Philip. I appreciate the time to chat with you today. Let's begin, as I always like to, uh, with a brief but thorough (laughs) overview of your uh, spiritual origin story. How did you, uh, what kind of spirituality did you have as a young woman and a child? And how did it evolve into uh, whatever form it's taken? Okay. Well, uh, it's it's been the journey, I guess. Um, I uh, grew up in the Bible Belt, um, in uh, New Orleans specifically. And um, in New, New Orleans, Orleans is an exception to the Bible Belt. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe so. And you know what? Maybe that's why Christianity didn't quite get its hooks in me. Like, uh, you know, maybe it did for other people living in the South. Um, mm. I will admit, though, uh, there was one Jewish temple in the rich part of town. <laughs> and um, the only people I ever met were either Catholics or Baptists. And um, I grew up a Catholic, uh, went to Catholic school uh, for many years. I can remember um, as a young child being chosen to put the wreath on top of, uh, you know, Mary's head, uh, you know, one of her holy days. And um, uh, yeah, and when my family couldn't afford to send me to Catholic school anymore, it was Sunday school for a while. And, uh, but, you know, pretty soon it sort of fell to the wayside. And um, I was actually a, a little bit more interested in uh, dabbling into metaphysics. You know, what does that mean? But really I liked ancient cultures and mythology and, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and then for quite a while, um, I guess you would have called me spiritual, but not religious. Um, at about 30, uh, my husband and I moved from uh, New Orleans to Los Angeles. And that is when I uh, discovered the writings of Rianne Eisler, who wrote the famous Chalice and the Blade, and uh, Merlin Stone, When God Was a Woman. And you know what? It was a slippery slope from there. I became, I think what some people call an um, I, I was into eco-feminist spirituality, women's spirituality, uh, because um, I had discovered that there's a feminine face of God, and uh, there had been for a very long time before science uh, can even document people were revering a male God. And I was a little bit angry that uh, that had been denied me for the first three years, 30 years of my life. So um, and then I started to realize the importance for a woman to um, know that there's a feminine face of God, how that changes a person uh, psychologically. And um uh, I, I sort of made it my life's mission then, uh, and for the last 30 years have been teaching uh, women and men about uh, the divine feminine as either a deity, an archetype, or ideals and values. Very good. Um, I've interviewed uh, a number of people who about the divine feminine, uh, authors of books, uh, listeners can go back and hear my interviews with Sally Kempton, for example. Um, and um, it's always illuminating uh, for many of us, not just women, to to discover this uh, the role that, uh, as you put it, the feminine face of of, of God uh, has played in um, in different traditions i go to india a lot there you know the the the, the female deities in india are extra, you know as you know uh, extremely prominent and very important in the everyday lives of uh, many uh, hindus um so how did it manifest for you in and because there's many forms of uh of spirituality in a feminine form um, uh, and how, how would it manifest for you and what was your particular uh, angle into the divine feminine? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for clarifying that because, you know, people who are in goddess spirituality, we're not a monolith. 
You know, um, you're probably familiar with that saying, cafeteria Catholics, you know, well, you know, uh, God of spirituality is sort of the same. <laughs> and, you know, we all aren't coming from one book. We don't have a Bible. So it may be a different come from. It may be a different foundation. Uh, some people find the sacred feminine through art history. I mean, there's so many roads to the sacred feminine. Um, once you see her, you know, and you go, well, you know, she's been hiding there in plain sight, only I didn't know um, why she was important. And uh, so for me, I guess it started uh, with a very um, shallow, insignificant class that was given by uh, a local organization that gave classes on an assortment of things from how to prepare your taxes to cooking. And um, it was it was some sort of thing, probably like find the goddess within. And looking back on it now, that class in particular was not um, the it was the catalyst in the sense that it opened my eyes to goddess. Um, and that old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appeared. Well, suddenly I'm meeting these women who have been, you know, steeped in it for years and knew about it and, um, you know, knew about creating rituals and knew about it from a political perspective, knew about it from an anti-patriarchal perspective. And um, it was really a road to discovery. You know, at, at first it was, wow, uh, there's so many goddesses across the globe, across continents and cultures. That was the first realization that uh, they were out there. And I was really amazed at how little I learned about any of that growing up. You know, it was just not a topic where I came from uh, that that was important, obviously. And um, and then I started, you know, because of goddess being associated with nature, um, you know, there was the uh, paganism flavor that worked its way in. And, uh, you know, there's like a wheel of a year with holy days all around the year, uh, you know, Beltane, Bridget, um, um, Samhain, um, you know, Yule at Christmas. And so, you know, I learned about that whole sacred um, calendar. Uh, but, but when I really started to make a pivot, I think, was when I discovered that um, how mythology shapes our culture and how um, goddess mythology could have shaped our culture had patriarchy not um, subsumed it or uh, distorted it. And then uh, really the social justice aspect of it. I mean, I, I realized that these values that aren't that different than Jesus teachings, you know, and I'm not talking prosperity gospels or anything like <laughs> that. You know, I'm, I'm talking the you know, the uh, the Jesus who walked with women, the Jesus who talked about love, um, you know, uh, that it wasn't real different. And um, I could also very easily see Mary um, as a goddess, you know, and, uh, and Sophia, who had been, you know, we we're robbed of. Uh, you know, instead of father, son, and, you know, uh, so, you know, father, son, and Sophia, the sacred family trinity, you know, she got kicked to the curb, and we get the Holy Ghost. Um, you know, it, it just... Can you uh, explain that for a moment, Karen? Go, the well, Sophia Holy Ghost thing. Well, let me think. You know, I haven't talked about that in ages, but it's something along the lines of... Um, Early on, we had God the Father, God the Son, and instead of the Holy Ghost, there was Sophia, wisdom, uh -huh. the feminine. And in uh, that, you know, uh, politics and patriarchy, religious politics, uh, took that away from us. There was also, you know, and, uh, and, and so instead of, and I think if we had been able to retain Sophia, 
then uh, women might have stood a better chance of not being so marginalized in society. Uh, but, you know, it, it, Sophia gets kicked to the curb and she's replaced with the Holy Ghost. And before you know it, we have myths where um, God is birthing uh, people, Zeus is birthing people, you know, they're taking over the roles that females, uh, you know, uh, played uh, naturally, you know, they're taking over these unnatural roles as um, life givers. And, um, you know, it, I, all of this, you know, it made me start to realize that, you know, having lost the feminine face of God has really thrown the world out of balance. You talked about India. India has never let their goddesses go, but their goddesses have become domesticated. You know, they're some God's wife. And, <laughs> you know, and I hate to say it, but that sort of relegates her to the you know, the, the role of taking care of the family or the house or, um, you know, the mercy givers that put people to get back together when they're broken. You know, they're not um, uh, role models anymore or teachers of how to shape a society or a culture. You know, they're just the caretakers now. Um, you know, and, uh, and so, yes, you know, you still have the goddesses in India, but for the most part, um, they've been domesticated, maybe not Kali and Durga, you right. know, but, um, but a lot of the others. And unfortunately, patriarchy, male-dominated religion, uses this mythology to, to, you know, say to women, well, if it's good enough for, you know, Pravati or Demeter or uh, whatever the goddess is to be domesticated, then it's good enough for you, human woman. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's just a, it's a means, you know, the, uh, these, uh, you know, distorted mythologies or a means to shape society and the roles of women in these societies. Did your um, immersion in uh, the divine feminine or the uh, goddess aspect of spirituality change in any way your uh, feelings about or your participation with your original uh, Catholicism? Well, yeah. It was a long time before I could walk into a church without being upset mm -hmm. by the institution, you know, what the institution had done women, um, you know, and, uh, you know, how they, you know, how they came to uh, shape their dogma and what the dogma was. And I mean, you know, Tertullian said women were uh, no more than an incubator for a male seed. You know, uh, we're just a box that it grows in. You know, uh, everything is about the man. And, um, you know, there's there's lots of that back there in history. And it, um, you know, when it continues forward, I mean, uh, it was okay for women to suffer in childbirth because they were forever paying for the sins of Eve. You know, uh, Eve becomes the evil one in the Garden of Eden, and Pandora is the evil one opening up the box and releasing onto the world all of humanity's woes, you know, as if. Um, so it... Um, yeah, it, uh, it and it made me, uh, I, I wasn't happy either because I felt like Mary, Mary Magdalene, um, you know, they really sort of got short shrifted, you know, and uh, and while everybody learns about Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, you know, it was very quietly said, you know, without a whole lot of fanfare that I'm aware of. Oh, well, no, that wasn't true. Sorry, we got that wrong. Shh, shh, shh. You know, <laughs> but it wasn't like it was shouted from the rooftops. You know, uh, it, it was like it was back on page 36 of the, you know, of some edition of the newspaper, metaphorically speaking, you know. 
Um, so yeah, it, um, it really made me um, look at patriarchal religion with a raised eyebrow and, uh, and see how the whole culture, um, you know, so much of what we do in our culture, what we tolerate, um, religion gives license to. And, you know, even in writing my last book, I feel like now, um, as I think about it, all of those years I sat in church and looked at Jesus on the cross and heard over and over and over and over again, he died for our sins and he suffered and he sacrificed for us. And don't we want to emulate him and be like him? And if we do, we're going to get to heaven. I think that sets us up to endure abuse and suffering and sacrifice, because if we do, gee, that's going to be our ticket to heaven, right? So we'll just allow that to keep happening because if we can muddle our, th our way through it, then our, we're going to have our reward when we die, you know? And I think that sets us up to be prey, um, to be abused. And, it, and I do believe that it sets up um, men, uh, to be predators in a lot of cases, because, um, you know, we're told that uh, they are speaking for God. They are the authority figures women should submit to. And I mean, we all know the horror stories, you know, of churches that tell wives to stay with husbands who abuse them or, you know, in authoritarian households and um, I mean, there's so much to, you know, Christian fundamentalism and all of that that's just evil. So you've made the segue uh, for me to your new book, and I'll repeat the title, Normalizing Abuse, subtitle, A Commentary on Our Pervasive Cultural Culture of Abuse. Why we've drawn to that topic you did a lot of research. This was not, you know, just uh, a polemic off the top of your head. Um, what drew you to it? And what is the significance in your eyes of taking on the subject of abuse in the spiritual context? Well, um, the the book is really about abuse in all phases of our lives, you know, not just the spiritual context, but, um, you know, at first, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, a few years ago, um, I was assaulted by someone wielding a stun gun. And I, um, I, I'm sorry. Repeat, you were assaulted. Oh, I, I was assaulted by someone wielding a stun gun. A stun gun. Stun gun. Yeah. And um, at first, um, it, I didn't seem to have any physical um, wounds, um, but I didn't realize for probably a couple years that it left me with psychological wounds. Um, you know, nightmares. Uh, I, I thought everything was going to end in a catastrophe. Things that used to be easy for me suddenly scared me. Uh, speaking in public was difficult, and I had been speaking in public for years. Uh, lots, lots and lots of different things. And um, I mean, I would hear the floorboards creak in my house and think the house was going to collapse. Mm -hmm. uh, irrational, illogical fears. And um, it turns out I was diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome from the stun gun incident. And while I was trying to heal from that, my mm. husband fell and hit his head and suffered a brain injury. Mm. We both um, uh, lost our jobs, found ourselves disabled, unemployed, no income. And uh, we were, uh, you know, our lives were in total chaos. It was like flipping a switch. Um, we went from a really good life uh, to um, chaos. And it was during that time 
that um, I started to see things a bit differently. Um, you know, dealing with the worker comp, you know, um, system was just incredibly egregious. Um, so many things that happened, you know, that I'm not really at liberty to talk about, but it started opening my eyes to a different level of uh, domination and oppression. Now, you see, when I was given talks about sacred feminine liberation theology, um, which goddess spirituality is, you know, um, I knew about patriarchy. I knew about predator capitalism. Uh, I was a social justice activist, but I thought I was a social justice activist for other people out there. It wasn't happening to me, but during the course of my own therapy to get over the PTSD, I had to awaken to the fact that it was happening to me and I had been wearing blinders. And that really sort of cracked open all of these additional layers of realization. You see, Rianne Eisler, after she wrote The Chalice and the Blade, she also wrote a, a, a book called The Partnership Way. And I'm one of her power of partnership presenters. So I would go out there and talk to people about the difference between domination and partnership. But now I was seeing this domination on a whole new level. I was seeing that not only is it out there, but we are normalizing it. We are whitewashing it. We are sanitizing it so we can put one foot in front of the other every day and just kind of make it through life. And that really was an aha moment for me um, about how, it, you know, it, whether it's subtle or blatant, it's everywhere. It's in things that we don't even think about, um, you know, the abuse and the exploitation, because we've, um, we've normalized it, you know, we, we have almost institutions gaslight us, I think we gaslight ourselves, because it's too difficult to look at, it's too triggering. And um, I think, um, honestly, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, we are a traumatized society. And um, uh, be because we have all been going through so much that we just say, well, that's the way it is. There's nothing that can be done about it. When in fact, there really could, you know, there's something could be done about a lot of it. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In your book, well, you say, I, I'm just going to read excerpts. Uh, we have personally, culturally, and socially become numb and in denial. We normalize abuse and accept it as ordinary, acceptable, usual, or standard. And 
we second guess ourselves when red flags might go up. So your position is that abuse and exploitation are pervasive everywhere. And your chapter titles reflect that. Academia, armed forces, workplace, media, social media, religion, corporations, government, political parties, societies, culture, families, friendships, all the institutions of of society that you would learn about in the sociology class, you have uh, you bring evidence of abuse. So here's the question: What do you mean by abuse? Because when when people hear abuse and it's coming into uh, out of the closet much more and more lately, but we think of uh, a sexual abuse. We think of physical abuse. Right. Those are the obvious and egregious forms of abuse that are culturally unacceptable. Right. You're suggesting that there are forms of abuse that are more subtle, that many people wouldn't even necessarily call abuse, just True. you know, bad manners or something, or just the way things are. So explain, you know, your uh, use of the term abuse and what you mean by uh, normalizing it. Sure. Okay. Well, um, I know one of I have sprinkled throughout the book um, are short little excerpts um, that people sent in to me of abuse they had suffered in these various segments of society. Probably the, the most I got were uh, from people who had endured uh, stuff at the hands of their families or in the workplace. So let's say, for instance, you work for an employer who um, is supposed to um, you know, provide you with a safe work environment, but say they put you at risk and they want you to do unsafe things. And so you have a choice of, well, am I gonna say something about it and risk my job or get on the bad side of the boss? Uh, or am I gonna risk my safety? I think that's abuse, mm. okay? Um, say you work in a human resources department and uh, you have 10 positions to fill, right? And your boss says, well, you know, uh, don't send me any, no veterans because, you know, veterans are all, you know, crazy in the head from the war. Don't send me any old people. Don't send me any black people because they're lazy. And for, you know, this job, I don't want any women. And this job, I don't want any men. He's telling you, um, or we don't want any disabled people. He he's making you break the law, basically. Okay, and what do you do? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, or say for instance, you know, one woman wrote to me and she said uh, she was, um, in, you know, she was employed in an in industry that was primarily men. And uh, when she got trained, um, you know, it, it was to uh, repair jets. And uh, when they trained her, they didn't tell her all the proper steps. So at the end, she failed. But then she got smart. She started watching the training when they trained men. They trained the men all the proper steps so the men would succeed where they didn't train her properly. So they set her up to fail. Wow. And, you know, because of sexism, they didn't want a woman filling a man's role. Take a non-disclosure agreement, for instance, you know, um, those used to be pretty benign things. You know, you work for a company, maybe you're going to leave the company. They don't want you to take their, you know, company secrets away, no problem. You sign an NDA, non-disclosure, that, so that you can't take their secrets and hurt the company by selling them or something, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how are NDAs used now? 
Well, we learned with, you know, Epstein and Weinstein, right? They're used to silence people who've been abused by evil persons. Yeah. And we think an NDA is no big deal. It's just a legal document rather than maybe it is uh, a tool to silence predators. And if you uh, refuse to sign it, you don't get the job. Or maybe you don't get the severance package when you leave mm-hmm. or something, you know. I mean, um, the doctrine of discovery, for instance, uh, was something that I researched for the book. That goes back to the earliest popes. Um, the doctrine of discovery, uh, you know, uh, written out by the popes of yesteryear, gave white Christian explorers Uh, gave them the right to when they went and explored new lands to just grab for themselves or their country uh, lands that they would, you know, their, uh, you know, their ships would dock at. uh, And they felt like, well, I'm going to claim this for Spain or France or Britain or wherever it was. Uh, because these people who are inhabiting it, well, they're not white and they're not Christian. They don't count. They're subhuman. So, you know, the Pope who speaks for God says that I'm entitled to take this land from these existing cultures that have been living here for maybe thousands of years, you know, all it, or and then we look at Thanksgiving And, you know, we look at this fairy tale of Thanksgiving, uh, you know, where the, you know, the pilgrims and the Indians, Native Americans are sitting down at this wonderful banquet. um, And it's, you know, it's sanitized, it's whitewashed, you know, we don't hear about the, you know, the blankets with plague that were then given to the Indians, even though the Native Americans kept the pilgrims alive so they didn't die, you know, when they couldn't sustain themselves, you know. So it's all of these different, I mean, there's so many, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of these examples. When um, I when I think of non-physical forms of abuse, uh, especially when you brought up the workplace, I think of verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. Of, of, uh, of verbally abusive bosses who demean people yes and insult people yes. and uh you know that i i mean i remember growing up hearing stories about that and you know people hating their verbally abusive boss who would never lay a hand on some you know some yeah. of them but they were verbally abusive and demeaning and uh they couldn't quit because they needed the, the gig right. um and I, uh, that's probably one of the reasons I was determined to never have a boss. <laughs> well, well, that's absolutely right. And think about that, um, you know, and that's bad enough uh, because you could plan an exit strategy and probably get away from that boss, maybe, Um you know, unless maybe you're at an age when, uh, you know, ages, you know, ageism would prevent you from making a lateral or an upward move or something like that. But imagine that that's your parent, mm-hmm. that yeah. abusive parent, and you grow up your entire life being told you're nothing, you're never going to make anything out of yourself. I mean, some people grow up with Uh, abusive authoritarian parents and people's will are are broken. I was just looking at a documentary last night where this church, um, an authoritarian church, Christian church, um, taught their congregations how to parent. And one of the first things they did, uh, they called it blanket training. And when a child was six months old, they would put the child on a blanket on the on the floor and put a toy within reach. And as the child would reach for their favorite toy, they would be slapped. And every time the child reached for the toy, they would be slapped and slapped and slapped until the child stopped reaching for the toy. And the idea was was to beat their will out of them. 
to beat their will out of them. And um, to what purpose? So that they would be submissive, mm. that they would obey authority. And so is there any wonder with so many of these fundamentalist groups that have indoctrinated people to obey authority that now we find here in the United States such a large portion of the uh, people in the country aren't phased by an authoritarian political party? <laughs> well, I it's a mystery to me, and I, I I understand exactly what you're what or in, not only some of them like it. It's not just a question of putting up I with it. it. So well, if you're the one that has the authority, you like it, and if you're the one that has to be submissive, well, you've just been conditioned to it. You know, you've been taught this is normal. That, you know, um, your, you know, your ideas, your will, your needs are subservient to what the authority figure tells you, you know, uh, your needs are or aren't, for instance. And I think that's why so many people tolerate abuse is because it's familiar. You know, it's like the... Um, the woman guilty of, not guilty, the woman who's a victim of domestic violence, she stays with the husband who she knows is going to beat her, but she's familiar with the abuse. It's too scary to do something unfamiliar. And in, in, especially in the past, um, when women didn't have economic opportunity, the dependency yeah. uh, to feed yourself and your children was uh, overwhelming. Um, let's talk a bit about the the effect of abuse and you know keeping in the the um, theme of of this show, which is spirituality. Um, every spiritual tradition I'm familiar with. Um, talks about the lasting impact of past experience of what we call now trauma, uh, how, how the impact of past experience and conditioning is sort of embedded as impressions, uh, you could say in the nervous system uh, or in some traditions, a subtle body, and that these become um, conditioning uh, have a, uh, have an effect of conditioning our behavior and our perception and how we see the world and ourselves. And therefore, as part of spirituality, spiritual growth, there are procedures and methods for uh, diminishing their impact, eliminating them, and so forth. How do you see the impact of uh, past trauma, past experience, abusive uh, suffering of, of of abuse, and that sort of thing, on on our spirituality, on our spiritual development. Well, um, you know, I, I I guess you know where my go to automatically uh, is. Um, the role that, you know, or, or the conditions that has been imposed on women, because I feel like women have been damaged uh, more than men by patriarchal religions. That's not to say men haven't been damaged, because I think men have been damaged. I mean, Matthew Fox uh, talks all the time about new roles for men mm -hmm. uh, within spirituality. You know, men don't have to be warriors. They can be, you know, they can be uh, protectors, for instance. You know, they don't have to be the aggressor if it's not necessary, you know. Instead, they can be, you know, peaceful protectors. Um, you know, I, I think when a woman grows up in, especially a fundamentalist uh, spiritual um, organization, 
she's, I, I think she's potentially damaged for life unless she realizes uh, what has happened and can step back from it uh, to see what has uh, happened. Because if she can't somehow get a little bit of distance to see what's happened, you know, she will just endure, you know, um, you know, she'll endure the abuse from the husband, you know, she will endure the rules that the church imposes on her family. Um, she will homeschool her children uh, with these booklets that, uh, you know, don't really uh, provide children with a, a, a thorough education. Um, and then, you know, when the child goes out into the workforce, then, you know, the child isn't really equipped to um, make it out there in the world. I mean, that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of these women who have spent their lives in these fundamentalist religions uh, stay because they can't make it on the outside world because they have not had a proper education and they would almost have to go back to school and start all over again, you know? Um, also, you know, if, if um, in going back to a feminine face of God, uh, if they have been told all their lives that men are created in God's image and, you know, this is taken literally, well, that means men are superior. There's, you know, there, there's God, there's man, uh, and then there's everything else. Uh, you know, women, children, all the species on the planet, everything that grows on the earth, the earth itself. And uh, every, and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, men, women, children, um, you know, we're all here to serve God, but women are also here to serve men. So, you know, it sets them up. Um, to it, it, it sets the men up, I think, in a lot of cases to potentially be a predator because they know that uh, they have the ultimate authority and power and they can get away with just about anything because the women have been so conditioned to think their needs and their suffering and their voice and their desires mean nothing. So if they're assaulted or they're raped or molested or mistreated, you know, they don't even speak about it. I mean, think about um, um, the woman who just took uh, Trump to court and uh, E. Jean Carroll. And uh, she said that she came from the silent generation when they didn't speak about these mm -hmm. things that happened to them. Well, women are still being groomed today in fundamentalist religions to not speak about it. Um, I interviewed women who were in the Quiverful movement on my podcast, and they had escaped the fundamentalist church. And they told me, they said that um, it was their job to be breeders, and um, they were supposed to have children um, is until their body broke down. And if uh, they died in childbirth, they would just have the attitude, well, um, you'll be a martyr for Jesus. I mean, it's like they had no value mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Their value was, um, you know, was predestined by their biology. You know. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, 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 I'm not, did that answer your question? I mean, was that where you were going with that? Well, you took it where you needed to go. I just, there's a lot of different ways of that. The different traditions have talked about the impact of wounds and traumas in the past. And, and this is one. Um, did you see the movie women talking? Oh, yes, I sure did. I, I want to recommend that to everybody in the context of what you just spoke about. Yes, absolutely. And well, and I just watched recently Happy Shiny People oh. about, about uh, the, the Christian fundamentalist group that the Duggar family uh. was involved with and how pervasive it is still around the United States. And so many of these things that I had written about in the book, 
they talked about it's a four-parter um, on Prime, and uh, it was um, it was sad. It was really yeah. sad. Women Talking, on the other hand, uh, is also based on a true story, but it's a, it's a drama and it's beautifully done um, yeah. and uh, uh, uplifting and encouraging in its way. With a happy uh, ending. Empowering, yeah. <laughs> um, now, it's no secret uh, uh, that uh, most most, especially the most egregious forms of abuse are perpetrated by men, and um, you've alluded to that. Now, you and I were both at a, a conference run by Harvard Divinity School some few months ago. Well, I guess it was in uh, April or May of 2023. Um, we didn't know each other then, but when I uh, learned about you, I realized you had been there, so I saw your your presentation. Uh, the, the, the theme of the conference was uh, uses and abuses of power in alternative spiritualities. And um, most of it was about abuses of power, of course. And uh, your talk was about the cognitive disconnect of goddess spirituality. And you spoke about abuse in the context of various uh, 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 groups and uh, movements around uh, the divine feminine and goddess spirituality. In other words, perpetrated by women. Yes. So I'd love to hear you talk about that. Sure. Well, let me say, um, you know, when the Dalai Lama said it uh, would be women that would save the world, <laughs> I wasn't a believer. <laughs> um, you know, I actually, I actually reworked that quote and said it would be sacred feminine liberation theology. In other words, the values of the feminine, not women themselves, because, um, you know, women can be just as evil as men. And in, in my life in particular, I encountered a lot more um, toxic women than men. So mm -hmm. I was not a believer that it was going to be women that would save the world. And, you know, um, Charlene Spretnak, I believe it was, uh, who's a scholar and academic um, who studied goddess spirituality, uh, she talked about in one of her books, I think it was Living in the Lap of the Goddess, maybe, um, about how people enter alternative spirituality to kind of, you know, create a following, a fan base, you know, they're marginalized out there in regular society, and in, and in a lot of cases, women are marginalized out there, right? And so within alternative spirituality, they try to create their own little fiefdom, if you will. And I encountered that within women's spirituality. And, you know, you have to realize we are all human beings that come to religion, the workplace, um, institutions, with our own personal baggage, um, with our own wounds from having lived in patriarchy, with having, you know, lived in... Um, uh, you know, especially women lived in a society that marginalized us. So we come, we come into the world, and you know, and as as these things happen to us, um, we enter maybe groups and organizations, you know, with our wounds, you know, with our past hurts and slights and chips on our shoulders, and um, you know, maybe uh, low self esteem or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, just because we discover a feminine face of God and maybe we know logically that, okay, if you're a goddess advocate, these are the values that we should emulate and, and perpetuate out there in the world. It doesn't mean that we're healthy enough to do that. Some of us are broken. And 
sometimes the broken people are leaders. Sometimes the broken people are just members. And it can bleed out and affect circles and groups and things like that. And um, and I was honest about all of that, you know. Um, goddess spirituality, like I said earlier, doesn't have a Bible. It doesn't have one book from which we all learn. And some people may never get past the... Um, pagan aspect of the sacred feminine, you know, meaning they're, you know, maybe they're into nature, maybe they're into doing rituals, you know, maybe they're into the mythology of it. And, uh, and maybe they're into the anti-man rhetoric, mm -hmm. you know, the female superiority aspect of it. And they might never shift out of that. You know, they, they may stay stuck there and that's where they're happy and that's good enough for them. Then, you know, on the other hand, there may be people who get into the social justice aspects of it and are out there as activists in the world, trying to make the world a better place. And in between there are, you know, there's a spectrum, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, for instance, right now, one of the things that really disturbs me within goddess spirituality is this idea of the erasure of women. Mm. And, um, and it's, a, in, it's an anti-trans position that makes no sense to me because if you are really... Uh, into goddess spirituality and into goddess mythology, you know that there were groups in India or devotees of Kabeli, Saibal, um, who trans people were part of the devotion. You know, there is a history for them being there. And I also believe goddess is about love. Goddess is about inclusion. Goddess is about compassion and tolerance. That was the assumption. Yes. So if you are really taking this seriously and you are trying to walk the talk, you certainly don't discriminate, especially, especially if you know you have been discriminated against in patriarchy, are you going to turn around and now discriminate against trans people? It's a cognitive disconnect for me. And, um, and on top of that, a lot of these women don't realize that they are spouting right-wing rhetoric Hmm. That comes out of the Federalist Society and places like that, people who would burn them at the stake, but they sort of feel like the end justifies the means. Hmm. And um, I, uh, th that's really disturbing. And I feel like it gives God a spirituality a bad name. And uh, myself, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want people to assume I believed in it. And it's, and it's, and it makes no sense to me, really. I mean, Trans people, you know, all of this stuff is less than 1% of the population. It feels like to me, it's a, it's like the war on Christmas, right? It's, it was a, a so-called war on Christmas. <laughs> yes, a so-called war on Christmas. This is a problem that doesn't really exist. Yeah, in. But it makes for uh, good propaganda. Yes, it does. Um, in the few minutes we have left, uh, Karen, let's talk about uh, solutions uh, to abuse in its different forms, especially in the context of spiritual organizations. This is something I know we're both interested in. Uh, I'm on the board of the Association for Spiritual Integrity, <clears throat> which I invite all listeners and you to uh, check out. And we started it because of various forms of abusive and unethical behavior among spiritual teachers and, and institutions. Um, and we're trying to do our best to uh, overcome that. What do you see on the positive side of the ledger? Because uh, you're 
last few chapters uh, in in your book come under the heading solutions and resources. So uh, address that, please. What can we do uh, to you know neutralize the impact of uh, abuse and halt it to the extent we can? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, I think the institutions that are uh, religious. Um, I, I mean, I think when, for instance, when uh, Catholics discover, discover predator priests, um, they shouldn't just be reassigning them somewhere, you right. know. Um, and, and we have to have the backbone to say, no, this isn't going to be tolerated. And, you know, drum them out of the priesthood or get them counseling. I don't know what the solution for them is to heal their wound, but they cannot continue to be in a role of authority. You know, um, I really would like to see liberal Christians, uh, you know, liberal Muslims, you know, whatever the religion is, the liberals be more vocal um, and try to call out some of these egregious practices that men have created and turned into dogma that is so damaging to so many of their congregation. Um, and, you know, that's probably a sticky wicket, right? But if you know that the teachings um, or discriminatory, if you know that scripture is being uh, distorted to, to prop up sexism. I mean, look, um, Jimmy Carter left his, his church mm -hmm. and, you know, had the backbone to say, no, I'm not going to be a part of this misogyny and sexism anymore. You know, that has to, um, you know, I, I, I think, People, you know, the Pew Institute said people are leaving religion mm -hmm. um, quite briskly, you know, and I think it's because of the hypocrisies. It's because of those sorts of um, situations where, you know, things are allowed to go on that really aren't about love and inclusion and all the teachings of Jesus. Um, I, I personally wonder about prosperity gospels. You know, uh, that feels like that's just a, a mishmash of Christianity with capitalism rather than the teachings of Jesus. I, I think dialogue needs to happen about all of this um, because so many people are like sheep and, you know, they just want the guy in the pulpit to tell them what to think. And so often the guy in the pulpit telling them what to think is maybe not in the best interests of them being a healthy uh, person, uh, making healthy choices. Um, I think, you know, if, if religions want to continue to keep their nonprofit status, uh, and not pay taxes, they ought to get out of politics, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, look at what's happened with the Supreme Court, you know? Um, um, so, you know, so that's all part of it, you know, I think in terms of, um, you know, the institution, but, you know, we as individuals can also do things as well, you know? I mean, we can walk away from uh, a congregation or a church or a particular religious group that uh, perpetuates uh, these isms, you know, racism, sexism, um, you know, white supremacy, you know, all of this stuff, you know, we don't have to allow ourselves to be a part of it, you know, to be complicit in it. Um, and, you know, and again, I, I think, those sorts of dialogues need to be had because some people just take so much of what's going on as normal, as gospel, if you will. And they don't, you know, the, their critical thinking skills have been switched off. Um, you know, but I think as individuals, you know, to, uh, to help heal ourselves, we really have to employ all sorts of self-care. You know, uh, self-care is so critical. You know, we can't allow ourselves to continue 
to endure abuse and exploitation because it's familiar. You know, we need to start by opening our eyes to abuse and exploitation. And once we've had the courage to do that, because it's not easy, um, then we can start to plan exit strategies, start to take steps, you know, to physically and emotionally heal ourselves. Uh, because, you know, there's lots of different things to do, um, I think, to heal ourselves from the trauma, from the exploitation, to help ourselves make better choices. Uh, but it, I, I think education and self-care are maybe two of the most important uh, things that um, we can do for ourselves. Very good. Thank you, uh, Karen. Well, that's a good place to end. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you for being with us today. And uh, listeners, you can uh, learn more about Karen and her work at karentate.net uh, or Google her. Um, thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends about it. Email me with suggestions. You can find me at my own website, philipgoldberg.com. Sign up for my mailings, which don't come very frequently. So don't worry about being abused by <laughs> junk mail. Uh, and uh, come back soon. Check out previous shows and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Karen. Thank you. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.